Greetings to Emmanuel Anglican Church, City of Light Anglican Church, and Cornerstone West Loop. My name is Father Matt Woodley, and it is so good to be with you on this second Sunday of our 10-week summer series through the book of Jeremiah. And Father Aaron started us off last uh, Sunday, and I'm so happy to be with you. I have told um, you three churches at various times when I've spoken there that you are my favorite church. So you are all my favorite church. And if I was not on staff at Church of the Resurrection, I'd be going to all of your churches just every third week because I love your churches. And I'm, I'm really serious about that. So I'm really honored to be bringing God's word to you today. Let's, let's just pause and take a moment for prayer. Lord Jesus, come now in the power of your Holy Spirit and open your word to us that you would change our hearts. In your name, amen. I want you to imagine this morning, and it's getting a little easier as we get into the summer weather, that you are really thirsty. Really thirsty. It's 98 degrees. It's humid. You're working out in the yard, or you're going for a bike ride, and you're sweating. You're dripping with sweat, and you desperately need a drink. You have two choices for how to quench your thirst. First, you have a cup, a old, torn, tattered cup. Now this cup has issues, and you could try to get a drink out of this, but it's got some leakage, some slight leakage, as you can see, but you stick your face in there and you try to get a drink of water. That's one option. Second option is, you turn around and behold, there is a fountain right beside you, within walking distance, within a hundred feet of you. It's a geyser. It's shooting water, gallons and gallons of fresh water. The sun is striking it, and it's, there's colors going everywhere. It's, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. And as you go towards the fountain, you, you feel the spray of the water already starting to refresh you. And you hear a voice coming from where you're not sure, maybe inside the fountain. And the voice is saying, come and drink. Drink to your heart's content. It's free. It's living water. Now you have a choice to make. Do you go to the fountain or... Do you try to drink from your cup? And you're torn. The cup or the fountain? The fountain or the cup? And you make a decision. I'm going to drink from my cup. I'm going to try to quench my thirst from this little cup because I love my cup. I need my cup. My cup is my precious. And so once again, you try to get a drink. You try to satisfy your thirst from this cup. Now in your saner moments, you might back up and go, what is my problem? What is wrong with me? Am I nuts? And the good news is, you're not nuts. Because the Bible actually has a word for your problem. I don't know if it's good news. Well, eventually it will be good news. But the bad news is, you're not nuts. You're just an idolater. You have an idol. You have an idol problem. 
We individually have problems with idolatry. We together, corporately, we create organizations and systems that are riddled with our individual idolatries. And these idols grip us. They have a grip on our heart. They control us. They misshape and distort our heart and our will and our affections. So what we want, what we really want, is the fountain. We know that deep down. But because our desires are disordered, we keep going to the cup. The broken, tattered cup. Our broken sisters, cisterns and trying to get a drink. This is one of the hard truths that our ancient guide, Jeremiah, that we started studying last week, that we're going to be studying, one of the truths that he gives us is that we have hearts that run so quickly and so easily to idolatry. Listen to the way Jeremiah said it in chapter 2, verse 13, in the scripture reading you heard read. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns, or leaky cups, for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water. Jeremiah 2, verse 13. The nature of idolatry is simply this. It is a strategy of God replacement. It's a God swap. So we swap out the true and living God, the fountain of living water that gushes with life, that gushes with energy, that gushes with abundance, this God who wants to fill us, this Lord Jesus who said, I am living water. I can fill you in the deepest part of you. We, instead, we swap that out. We swap the Lord out, and we replace it with something lesser, something far lesser, something that cannot satisfy. You see, we were made to dwell around the fountain. The last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verse 9, has this amazing picture of the human race redeemed by Christ, redeemed under Christ. It says people from every nation and tribe and tongue and, and linguistic group and racial group worshiping around the throne of God, coming to drink at the fountain that is in Jesus Christ. But idolatry, idolatry and our idols block us from getting to that fountain. And Jeremiah says, basically, there's two steps for what's gone wrong in the human heart. Two steps that what's gone wrong in human systems and institutions. Step one, we have forsaken God. Step two, we have sought out a God replacement. Let's look first at step one, forsaking God. So this passage begins back in chapter 2, verse 2. And the Lord says to the nation of Israel, his people, he says, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. It was like newlyweds on a honeymoon. 
It was romantic. There were late dinners. There was candlelight. There was romance. And God says it wasn't easy. I know. I took you through some rough territory, but you made it. We made it. Actually, I brought you through it, God says. And you loved me, and you trusted me, and you followed me. We have a friend, Bishop Todd Atkinson from Canada, who one time in the middle of a service here at the cathedral, he leaned over to me and he said, you know, Matt, the gospel, it's kind of romantic, isn't it? And it is. It's about a love story between God and his people. It's about a love story between God and you. God wants to romance you. God wants to romance humanity. St. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5 that one of the best, most intimate pictures of our relationship with God is a picture of a husband and a wife in marital love. In particular, God says, Jesus says, I'm like the husband going out, laying down my life, sacrificing my life for my bride. The Bible is like a love story. It's like a love letter in which God says, Dear world, I love you. I haven't given up on you. I've always loved you. I want to draw you back to myself. I know you're hurting. I know you're confused. I know you've been hurt. I know you've been the one that has hurt others. But I have not given up on you. I love you, and I want you to return to me. I want your love back. But something tragic happened in this love story. Jeremiah, or the Lord says in the book of Jeremiah, verse 5, What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? What happened between us? The romance died. The affection dimmed. And the Lord says, this wasn't a two-way street. I just want to be clear about this. This was on your end. This wasn't on my end. I didn't change. You're the ones that changed. You went after worthlessness. In this chapter, there's frequently this idea that the people of God were very intentional about going after false gods, going after idols, going after their leaky cups. They pursued it. Basically, God is saying, you are having an affair with your idols. Your affections have been stolen by your idols. And God says in verses 6 and 7, he goes on to say, they did not say, where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in the land of deserts and pits? Verse 7. But it was I who brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. He's talking to people and he's saying, I'm the source of your blessings. I gave you privileges I gave you a plentiful land. I gave you fruits. I gave you good things. You know, there's a lot of talk these days about, about privilege and who is privileged. But it's actually, this is actually a very ancient concept where God has been trying to drill into the heads and hearts of his people that if you have privileges, I've given you privileges so that you would respond with gratitude and with, towards, 
towards me, the Lord says, and in humble service and generosity towards others who are less privileged, who are underprivileged. That's the whole point of privileges. And God says, you took your privileges and you used them to your own advantage. In Jeremiah's time, he said, people, the ordinary people are not asking, where's the Lord? In verse 8, he said, the priest did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who handle the law do not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The political leaders, the shepherds, they did not say. They did not repent. They did not seek the Lord. So step one, how did all this unravel? How did we get to this point where we're just so prone to go to our leaky cups and not to the fountain? Well, step one, we forsake the Lord. Step two, we're on the hunt for God replacements. Again, verse 13, they have forsaken me, step one, and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves or underground wells, underground holding tanks. They have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns or leaky cups that can hold no water. The cisterns were a strategy to deal with forsaking God. So you've got to have something. You've got to go somewhere to quench your thirst, to store the water. And so these cisterns, would, they would build them. That was their strategy. But they would leak and they would get filled with dirt. And Jeremiah, the Lord is saying through Jeremiah, that's what your idols are like. An idol is taking a bad thing or even a good thing something good in creation, and turning it into your best thing, your ultimate thing, your thirst-quenching thing. So, if you want to know what your idols are, ask yourself these questions. Where do I give my best and longest attention? What is my ultimate delight? doesn't mean you can't delight in other things, but what is your ultimate delight? What is the basis of my anxiety or fears? What am I anxious or afraid I might lose? What must I gain to make my life worthwhile and meaningful? Now again, these can be good things that are not meant to be ultimate things. Here's another test. This is what somebody calls the Rocky Balboa test. So this is really practical. You may remember in the first of the many excellent, exceptional, moving Rocky movies, one, two, three, four, five, six, I think in the first one, Adrian, his wife, is asking him, why do you fight? Why do you have to do this? And Rocky says something to the effect, because... If I don't fight, if I don't go the distance, he says, I'm going to prove that I'm just another bum from the neighborhood. And Rocky says, if I don't fight, I will prove that I'm a bum, and I don't want to be a bum. So here's the test. Fill in the blank. If I don't blank, I'm a bum. If I don't succeed. I'm a bum. If I don't do everything perfectly, 
I'm a bum. If I don't have this, that relationship, I'm a bum. If my kids don't turn out perfectly, I'm a bum. If we don't get our political agenda accomplished, we're bums. If I don't live a healthy, long life, I'm a bum. If I can't hold on to my privileges and my comfort and my security, I'm a bum. Here's the problem with idols that actually the Lord points out to the people of God. And it's still the same problem. In verse 8, he says, You went after things that do not profit. Verse 11, My people changed their glory, the glory of the fountain. They traded that in for that which does not profit. He says the same thing twice. They don't work. I mean, they work for a while. That's why we think they're going to work. They're going to keep working. So they work until they no longer work, which always happens. As somebody said, idols demand more, and they provide less and less until eventually they give you nothing and demand everything. We think of perhaps the easiest, most concrete way to think of it is like an addiction. It just demands more and more and provides less and less of a hit. Well, other things in life are like that as well. Say, for instance, you have your idol, you build your life, your identity around a relationship or pleasing people. You're constantly going to be worried. What do they think of me? How did I do? How did I perform? Let's say you build your life and identity on your career or success. Your life will be a treadmill of I got to do more. I got to do better. I got to keep it up. Or let's say you build your life or identity on money or possessions. You will have a gnawing discontentment at the center of your being. There's always more. I made this much money, but I can have more. Or let's say, for instance, your idol is a noble cause or even a ministry in the church. Here's what will happen. You will demonize your opponents because they're on the wrong side and you're on the right side and you will be consumed with self-righteousness and anger and disappointment at others. So here's the situation. Step one, we have forsaken God. Step two, we have created God replacements, our leaky cups. Remember that vision I talked about from the last book of the Bible? People from every nation and tribe and tongue and racial group worshiping around the throne, gathering around the living fountain, and the Lord Jesus saying, come and drink. And idolatry is... Nah, I'll take my idol. I'll take my leaky cup. Notice what's at stake here. Verse 12. Be appalled, O heavens. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. This is, it's not just weird. It's, it's, it's a tragic. It's tragic. But here's the good news. Notice how God responds to our idolatry. So in verse 9 of Jeremiah chapter 2, 
the Lord says to his people, he says, Therefore, I still contend with you, and with your children's children, I will contend. What's God talking about there? Well, I will contend with you is basically, I will take you to court. I am going to start a legal proceeding against you because what you're doing is wrong. And God stands up as a prosecuting attorney and he lays out his case with the logic of a lawyer and the longing of a lover. And God says, I'm not going to let you go. I'm not pretending that your affair didn't happen. Nor am I going to allow it to continue. I'm going to fight to get the romance back in our marriage. I'm fighting to get you back. I will even lay down my life so that you can return. I will suffer so that you can be blessed. Do you recognize that voice? The recognize the voice that's speaking in Jeremiah? Have you heard it before? It's the voice of Jesus. Surely, it's the voice of the Lord speaking to the people of Israel over 2,000 years ago, but it's also the voice of Jesus speaking to you and me today. And what's he saying? He's saying what he's told us in the Gospels. I have come to seek you. I am the one who's gone into the far country of human sin and brokenness and idolatry to win you back, to cleanse you of your idols, to make you clean inside, to wash you clean. I am your idol deliverer, the one who can break your bondage. What is our response to this Lord who is seeking us, who is fighting for us, who is wooing us with romance once again? Well, first thing we can do is simply renounce our idols. We name them. And we do it because we know we're in the presence of someone who loves us. And I want to encourage you, if any of these idols ring true for you, sometime, maybe this service, maybe this week, say out loud to the Lord, Lord Jesus, this is my leaky cup. Here is its name. I name it, and I renounce it. I give it to you. I no longer want this to be my God replacement. Seriously, tell him that in the simple language. Name it. Renounce it. You're in the process of renouncing. You're also repenting. You're repenting for the ways you have forsaken God and hurt other people in the process. Because when we forsake God, we always, it will always lead to pain in those around us. It is always, every sin against God is also social. It also affects our relationship with other people. So we renounce it, and then we also return. Listen to what the Lord says in, in chapter 3 of Jeremiah. Return, faithless Israel. 
verse 14, chapter 3, verse 14. Return, O faithless Israel. Then in chapter 31, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Do you hear the voice of Jesus in that? I have loved you with an everlasting love. And I cannot prove it more to you than by showing you what I did for you at the cross. My whole life was lived that way, to seek you. But at the cross, I laid down my life, the just for the unjust, the sinless for the sinner, the idol free from the idol worshiper. Do you hear God's grace for the ungracious? Do you hear God's faithfulness for the unfaithful? Return, O faithless people. The Lord is calling you. Come to the fountain and drink from the living water. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.